Welcome to today's podcast with Crosspoint Church, where we share the gospel and we share our lives. With so many fun and new exciting things going on at church, we want you to be in the loop. So make sure that you check out our Facebook page and that you check out our website at www.crosspointwaverly.com. And now for today's message. Hey, good morning, Crosspoint family. Uh, wish that I was here with you this morning because you are in for a treat. Pastor Gary is the founding pastor of our church, and we're so grateful to have him here today. He's a phenomenal pastor and preacher of God's word, and I know that today that he is going to bring you a message straight from heaven, that he's prayed, he's prepared, and he said, God, what do you want to speak to this congregation in this moment? And so I hope that you have come with your hearts ready and prepared to receive from the Lord today. Would you join me in welcoming Pastor Gary Pilcher as he comes to the stage this morning? Well, good morning. You scared me there for a minute. I think there'd be any response. Let's try it again. Good morning. I want to say something that has nothing to do with my message. Uh, it comes from a conversation I had in the lobby. A couple of things said during worship. And I know it's easy for some of us to struggle with whether or not Jesus loves us when we make a mistake. You have to remember that your relationship with Jesus Christ is based on his provision, not your performance. I want to say that again. Your relationship with Jesus Christ is based on his provision, not your performance. When you have received his provision, your performance will change. That's evidence of the relationship. And when you make a mistake, you need to repent and come back. But in all of that, he still loves you. That would have been a great place to clap your hands. <laughs> Just want to encourage you. Um, I uh, saw that you had listened to a little bit of Reggie Dabbs some time ago. I'm not Reggie Dabbs. I don't play a saxophone. <laughs> but he said two things that I agree with. One is that when you come to church, you ought to have a good time. And that means then that it doesn't stop when the preaching starts. You can have a good time during the preaching as well as during worship. I don't believe that. And I believe that preaching is experiential. I'm not up here to give a lecture. I'm here for us to experience the Word of God together, which means it's all right for you to talk back to me. I appreciate that. You say, do you need that kind of affirmation? No, but you need that kind of engagement. So elbow your neighbor and said he'll be done in a half hour. We're so honored to be here this morning as part of um, what God's doing in Waverly as I look around, and we've been here before, but it's a miracle what God has done here. Let's give the Lord praise this morning. It's a miracle what he's done here. And I don't know if you know this or not, but you have one of the greatest ministry couples in the country here at uh, Cross Point, one of the greatest leaders in our, in our nation, in Jonathan and Erica Bartholo, great friends and great leaders, and you are abundantly blessed to have them as the leaders of this fellowship. Let's hear it for the Bartholos this morning. I believe that, and uh, good friends. But I was, during worship first service, I was reminded of when Carol and I were pastoring in Old Wine from 82 to 88, I was 12, if you're doing the math. But from 82 to 88, we were pastoring in Old Wine, and there was uh, an outreach to Waverly then, 
to start in the Summons of God Church in Waverly. And I remember the pastor's name, and they start off meeting at the Red Fox Inn. Is that still here, the Red Fox Inn? No? Is it gone? Parts of it are still here, okay. Yeah, that's, you don't want to stay there then if parts are, are there and parts of it are gone. But that's where it started and it worked hard. It didn't take off, finally kind of fizzled out and was closed. But any time that we experience a victory, we need to remind ourselves that the harvest that we're experiencing today rests on the sowing of a previous generation. We stand on the shoulders of giants. And people who have worked hard and prayed hard have sown into and believed for God to do something in this place, and you are in response to their prayers, and you'll build a foundation for the next generation. If we don't build a platform for the next generation to go beyond us, faith can be lost in one generation. So we have to stay focused on communicating our faith. I believe in a big God, don't you? Love what it said in one of the songs we sang, up from the ashes, hope will arise. Do you believe that this morning? Up from the ashes, hope will arise. And the Bible is full of those kinds of stories. Up from the ashes, hope will arise. We'll be in Daniel chapter 2 this morning. If you want to open your Bible or turn on your digital device and join me there in Daniel chapter 2. And Daniel chapter 2 shows us how God can turn a death sentence into a promotion. And that really is the heart of the gospel message. Do you know that before you met Jesus, you were on your way to eternal judgment? How many know that this morning? Eight of you. The rest of you need to get saved by the end of the service. How many of you know that we, we'll do this all morning, folks. I'm not tired. We'll just keep going. So help me. We'll get done sooner. If, if you, before you met Jesus, you were on your way to eternal judgment, how many know that? Right. There's not a middle ground. You're either going to heaven or you're going to hell. And then there was a death sentence written over your life. But Jesus hung on the cross, gave his life for us, and God wrote our name in the Lamb's book of life. We were not the people of God. We are now the people of God. We were without hope. We're now with hope. We were without joy. We're now with joy because God has a unique way of taking a death sentence written over your life and turning it into a promotion. And that same impact happens then after we become a believer. That there are things that happen to us that can rob us of our hope, of our joy, and we can feel like there's no hope for us. But I've got good news for you this morning. I came with a message from God to tell you that anytime the devil tries to write a death sentence over your life, God has a way of turning that into a promotion. It could be that you've lost a job. Don't give up on God. He's got a better place for you. It could be that your marriage is in trouble. Don't accept that. Bring it back to Jesus and let him anoint it and bless it and heal it. It can be better than it ever was. You can have children running away from God. That death sentence can be turned into a promotion. Is there anybody in the house this morning? I'm saying our God turns death sentences into promotions that glorify his name. And he has that for someone in this place this morning. So in Daniel chapter 2, there are two principles, or four principles that I want you to grab hold of and consider with me what that is really all about. The first is that God loves to upset the status quo. I just think God hates the status quo. He hates lukewarmness. He is not, he is not the God of coasting. Whatever age, wherever you are, he is not the God of coasting. 
There's no place to sit back and say, I've arrived, it's okay, it's all good. And how many of you would admit this morning that there are times when everything seems to be going good that your mindset is, don't rock the boat. Leave it all as it is, let everything go on the same. But there are times that God wants to move you into a new place of ministry, a new place of relationship, a new place of anointing. And for that to happen, sometimes he pulls the rug out from under us and shakes up our world a little bit. So when that happens, just know that when the devil says there's a death sentence on your head, God says, I've got a solution that's going to bless you and anoint you. God upsets the status quo. Listen to Daniel chapter 2, verse 1. In the second year of his reign... Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His mind was troubled, and he could not sleep. God troubled Nebuchadnezzar. Why? Well, I can't, I can't unpack all that right now except to say that Nebuchadnezzar led one of the greatest empires of that time. And God is concerned that every man, woman, boy, and girl, everybody on the planet have an opportunity to hear the gospel in a way that is understandable and receivable by them. And it doesn't matter if you're a Jew or you're a Babylonian, God wants to reach people for the kingdom's sake. God loves people that we tend to hate. Let's say that again. God loves people that we tend to hate. Now, I'm not afraid... <laughs> Look at me like, what in the world did I just walk into? I'm not ashamed to wave my flag and, and show my political colors. I'm a conservative, not ashamed of that at all. But I have to also understand that my job on planet Earth is not to win a political debate. It's to reach people for Jesus Christ. Some of you are hearing me right now. And I need to not let anything get away with that. Now, I'm not ashamed of who I am, and anybody that knows me knows who I am. And I'll say it, but I need to be careful that that doesn't become more important than being a salt and light and an ambassador for Christ in this world. Our church provides for Pleasant Hill a farmer's market. And I love our farmer's market. I get to talk to people that I wouldn't ordinarily get to talk to and share things with them. I get to eat foods if my wife's not there that I wouldn't, nor <laughs> I wouldn't normally get to enjoy. Do you know that you can eat three egg rolls and three crab rangoon and still live through it? It's an amazing thing. <laughs> amazing. So I'm on the parking lot. A lady walks up to me. Let me tell you about this lady just a little bit. I don't know if she's married or has been married. I don't know her story. But I do know, now watch, this is getting a little complicated. I do know that her daughter is a lesbian who was married to a lesbian who has found Jesus and attends our church. Got that? Yeah, three of you. That's all I need. That's good enough. I'm on the parking lot, and she walks up to me, and she knows I'm the pastor of the church. And she said, would you ever do a gay marriage? I already know the answer to that question. Hello. I already know the answer to that question. And I can blow her up about gay marriage, or I can pause and say, God, what are you doing in this moment? I've never had anybody just walk up to me cold like that and ask me that question. What are you doing in this moment? God, what should I say? Began to talk to her about how God established one man, one woman in a marriage relationship for life. And by the way, if you're going to campaign against gay marriage, then you need to make yours attractive. 
We need to focus. On, you know, when you get quiet on me, I'm just going to hammer here for a while. So. <laughs> we need to make sure that we're em- emphasizing the win, not just condemning the loss. We need to encourage people in what is right. And so we had a great conversation that turned into a really positive that I believe there'll be more than that that happens from there. But God will upset your status quo so that you have an opportunity to share the gospel message. And with with Nebuchadnezzar, he's going to rattle him a bit because he wants to get his attention and do something in his life. So when God upsets Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar upsets the wise men. He goes to them and says, I've had a dream that's keeping me awake, and I want you to tell me the interpretation of the dream. Now, as you read the chapter, it becomes really clear that Nebuchadnezzar doesn't trust those wise men anymore, doesn't trust those astrologers. You've been giving me all kinds of advice. This time I want to know if it's really real, if it's really something I can rely on. So you have to tell me what the dream was, And when you tell me what the dream was, then you can give me the interpretation. And when you give me the interpretation, I'll believe that. But you have to tell me what the dream was. Now, they understand that that is an impossible task. It's a challenge that they can't measure up to. And the astrologers um, define the battleground this way. Here's what they say. No one can reveal it to the king Except the gods, and they do not dwell among us. <laughs> That's where a child of God says, let me step into the ring. Come on, let me step into the ring. Nobody can do that but God, and the gods do not live among us. What is the story of Scripture? From Genesis to Revelation, in the book of Genesis, God walked with man and woman in the cool of the day and communed with them until they were kicked out of the Garden of Eden. And from then, God began a plan that will culminate in the end of the book of Revelation where mankind will tabernacle together with God in the new Jerusalem and a great plan for the future because it is the will of God that he tabernacle with man. And any time the world says, God's not here, he's not present, where was God? That's an opportunity for the saints of God to stand up and say, I know where he is, he's here with me, he lives in me, he walks with me. I know who he is and I know where he is and I can tell you about him. Tell you about him. I was uh, (laughs) in a college class at Iowa State attending a class just as a guest. The class I was invited to to attend, I was told that I would not have an opportunity to speak, which was fine with me, and I'm sitting in the class, and it was comparative religions, Christianity, Judaism, and Islam. And I had an evangelist with me that day, and he sat in the class with me, and they were using Reformed theology as the model of Christianity, which isn't fair, but that's the model that he had set up. And he's talking about Islam, And he described it this way, that there are various levels of revelation in Islam. There's a revelation that you know God is in the house. Then the next revelation is you hear God in the house. And then the next revelation, you see God in the house. And the evangelist who was with me raised his hand because no one told him he couldn't uh, say anything. And he said, here's what's different between Islam and Christianity. You say, Muslims know he's there, hear he's there, sees him there. But in Christianity, he came out of the house. 
and came to planet Earth and lived among us and provided for us a whole new way of living. And then that began a whole debate that was going on in the class. God always wants to dwell among people. So in verses 12 to 13, when they don't know what to do or what they're going to say or how they're going to respond, Nebuchadnezzar immediately sentenced them to death, orders that they all be executed, including Daniel and the other three colleagues. Daniel and his friends are specifically sought out and brought to the forefront because they are all going to die. I would think that would upset your status quo. If there wasn't an, I mean, <laughs> I'm so tempted right now to meddle. But when we feel like we have it bad in the United States, I don't worry about being gunned down when I leave my car and walk into the door of the church because I'm a child of God. There are countries in the world just like that. Imagine if there was a ruling when we were having all the time where we couldn't meet together and we're isolation and quarantine. Imagine if the sentence was this. Anyone who meets in groups larger than 10 will be executed. That's a whole different story, isn't it? It would get our attention, wouldn't it? It's what's happening in Daniel chapter 2. All of you are going to be executed because you don't have an answer. And God, in, in shaking up the status quo, puts Daniel right on center stage. Second thing you need to know is that God's people need to be intercessors. When the apple cart is upset, when the status quo is challenged, when the world gets chaotic, God's looking for intercessors. Daniel chapter 2, 17 and 18. Then Daniel returned to the house and explained to the matter to his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. He urged them to plead for mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Now, I will grant you that is not an altruistic approach to prayer. Why is Daniel praying? It's not for the good of the nation. It's so that they don't die. And I'm sorry to say, but sometimes God has to put us in a place that our lives depend on it in order for us to pray for the people that are around us. Intercessors are those that stand in the gap. They're not, they're not weird interpreting bird feathers or tea leaves. They're in a place where they're standing in the gap for a lost and dying world. And why should we pray for the rulers over us? Why should we pray for those in authority? We should pray for them because if we pray that God will bless them, that provides for us a quiet and peaceful life. And I'll tell you, while I'm opposed to many of the... Many of the uh, principles that are happening in our culture today. I'm going to pray that God will bless and turn the culture because I refuse to sit back and simply die with the pagans. We can be a voice. Listen, we are not what's wrong with America today. We are what's right with America. And we need to let that be sounded for the cause of Jesus Christ. We need to let that voice be heard. And you do that by praying. You do that by praying. It's more important than we pray than we protest. I'm not against protest, but I'm saying to you that the goal, is anybody hearing me right now? The goal is not to win a political debate. The goal is to proclaim the gospel. 
And we need to make sure that's what our focus is in all that we say and do, that we're interceding for our country, we're interceding for our people. So Daniel doesn't panic. He simply says, middle part of the chapter, verses 14 to 16, why all the uproar? And then he asks for a little bit of time, which is what the astrologers were trying to get toward. Daniel says, give me a little bit of time. Give me time to seek God. Daniel wants time to interpret, and he is then standing in the gap because if Daniel fails, they all die. If Daniel succeeds, they all live. God loves a lost and dying world. Daniel's going to stand in the gap. So he prays, verses 17 and 18. He doesn't pray for revelation. He prays for mercy. God, give us mercy that we not be killed. I, I want to challenge you to think about how God works differently than sometimes we think about how God works. Too many... Did you hear me carefully? Too many Christ followers want to know how to pray to get what they want rather than to pray what the will of God is. We want a formula. One plus one equals two. We want to know that when we pray, we will always be prospered. When we pray, everyone will be healed. When we pray, everything will be wonderful. And I had to wrestle with that. My wife and I had to wrestle with that. Those that don't know us, a number of years ago, we had a son who was 13 and diagnosed with lymphoma. And we prayed and the church prayed. People around the world prayed. National leaders prayed. And nine months later, God took him home. And I had to wrestle as a Pentecostal with that issue. And, I, and it came to me that my focus was, God, how can I pray to get what I want rather than how can I pray to see your will done in this world that will change the lives of people. Because he's more concerned about your character than your comfort. He's more concerned about people going to heaven than you having all the things that you are on your prayer list. And you may not like that, but I'm telling you it's the fact. We're to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, not God. We want what's done on earth to be fulfilled in heaven. It's the reverse of that. And we need to seek God in that behalf. And so Daniel's asking for mercy. God, I want your will. What do you want to accomplish? What do you want to have happen? How can I seek your face? I want to tell you about a man named, um, a man in our church named Randy. When I first met Randy, it was at Sportsman's Camp. And back in the day, Sportsman's Camp at Sunstream Retreat Center was a time to listen to a speaker and shoot things. Anybody fit in with that? You have any people that like to shoot that? Not people, but like to shoot things? I mean, the highlight of the whole thing for me was a black powder rifle shooting a ceramic toilet sitting on a tarp and watching it blow up. That was a, that was a spiritual moment, I'm just telling you. It was incredible. Randy wasn't a believer. Norm Winnick was regularly at those. He's gone to heaven, but he had a way of telling you the gospel story, and over time, he led Randy to the Lord. Randy's a big man, and he's been attending our church for some time now, and he needed knee surgery, knee replacement. Went in and had the surgery, and then got an infection. And they went back in and cleaned it out and replaced it. They've done that four times, and there's no more bone that they can cut. They've said they're not hopeful they'll ever be able to get rid of the infection 
And he's been in pain. He's struggled with that. I've talked with him. We've prayed for him. But I want you to see Randy, big guy. He's either going to be on antibiotics the rest of his life or they're going to amputate his leg. He walked up to me at the end of the service and said, Pastor, I want to talk to you. At that point, I'd rather be an evangelist, preach, and hit the road. Pastor has to stay and live out what you say. So I, I listened to him and he said, told me the story, didn't know what was going to happen. And then he looked at me with tears running down his face, this big, tough guy. And he said, if you only knew where I was and understood where I am, how can I be anything but thankful? In the midst of the pain, in the midst of the suffering, up from the ashes, hope will arise. In the midst of struggle and pain, we still praise him. We still believe in him. And there's something powerful about that testimony. I'm not serving him because he's taken care of all of my physical pain. I'm serving him because I was on my way to hell. And I'm on my way to heaven. I was a child of the devil. I'm a child of God. I was filled with hatred and anxiety, and now I've been set free to love him because that's what God does. He changes us from the inside out and with tears running down his face. He said, I've, I've moved past anger. I've moved past bitterness. I've moved past frustration. I'm telling you what, that is a miracle. Now, I don't know what God will do, and we're still believing for healing, but it's more important that he find a Jesus he can still praise in the middle of the storm. I'm surprised how many Christians during COVID lost their voice. We're afraid. We don't have hope. And I preached a message that the church is still the same. We have been and will always be people of hope. Amen? Come on, help me this morning. We have been and always will be people of hope, people of peace, people of joy, people of power, people of the gospel message. And nothing is going to change that. We're going to continue to pursue that because we're praying for a nation that needs to meet God. And in that, we need to be people who trust him in the middle of the storm. So Daniel receives the answer, 19 to 23. What a powerful moment that is when God gives you a word. That's why the Bible tells us to covet to prophesy. A prophet isn't somebody that blindfolds himself and then reads your social security number. It's somebody that has a message from God for a world that's lost and dying and takes that message to them. Sometimes God will give you a word ahead of time. Sometimes he'll give you a word in the midst of it. So I'm going to go back just for a moment to that class. And uh, uh, the atheist teacher said to me, you can't really believe, can you? You can't really believe that a person can pray a prayer and it'll change their life. And I said, let's find out. You pick out a student, put them in the middle of the room. I'll sit beside them and I'll share with them what the Bible says about faith in Christ. And then I'll lead them in a prayer and we'll all watch and see what happens. As soon as that word came out of my mouth, I thought, dear Lord Jesus, <laughs> what did I just do? Even so, Jesus, right now would be a great time for you to come back. Get me out of this mess. So now, because there was such, Pastor Dan, you know those moments 
where you have authority and anointing, and then you speak it, and then God says, now let's watch you walk in it. You can get out of the boat and walk in the water, but then when you get your eyes on the waves, you're going to start to sink. And say, oh, God, help me. Save me. I don't know what I'm going to do. The instructor swore at me, ended the class early, invited them to a Baha'i meeting. Why? Because when you intercede and stand in the gap, even hell trembles in those moments. When you're the voice of God with a prophetic word, and that's what comes to intercessors who are praying for their nation more than they're criticizing it. Come on. More than they're complaining, more than they're whining, they're praying that God will bring revival to our land. Third, we understand not only does God need people to be intercessors, that God owns the future. And here's what Daniel says in chapter 2, verse 28. King, there is a God in heaven. That's my favorite line in this entire chapter. Listen, as long as there is a God in heaven, there's an answer yet to come. We shouldn't ever give up hope or hang our head or pretend like it's not good for us today because there's a God in heaven. As long as there's a God in heaven, I have hope. As long as there's a God in heaven, I'm not giving up. As long as there is a God in heaven, I'm going to continue to tithe. Because he rewards those who respond. So Daniel simply says, I've heard from God. I've heard from God. Now, he says in verse 28, remember what the astrologers said. The astrologers said, there is... There is no one but God who can answer this, and he doesn't live with us. And Daniel said, there is a God in heaven, and I talked to him today. Hello? Come on. I talked to him today. And he gives this incredible plan that God has revealed to Nebuchadnezzar. And it goes like this. You're the great head, the head of gold, the Babylonian empire, the silver chest, is the Medo-Persian Empire. We understand from study the stomach and thighs of bronze of the Grecian Empire, then follows the Roman Empire, then the revised, the revised Roman Empire. And then he says there's going to come a stone that's going to hit the feet of the statue or the image. It's going to collapse. And out of that stone will come a great mountain that will rule forever. It's a picture of the millennial kingdom. What has he given to Nebuchadnezzar, this great ruler on the earth? Here's a picture of my eschatological timeline. This is what I'm going to do, Nebuchadnezzar. I'm giving you a vision into where I'm taking this world. Unfortunately, Nebuchadnezzar doesn't make the right connection. Because in the next chapter, he makes the statue solid gold saying, I'm never stepping down. But in this moment, God gives him a glimpse because God wants Nebuchadnezzar to come to a place of repentance. Fourth principle. When you understand that God upsets the status quo, that God's people need to be intercessors, that God owns the future. And let me make one more comment about that before we go to the fourth one. How many of you believe that God owns the future? Yeah. Let me see your hands. How many of you believe that he loves you? God owns the future. God loves me. Then why am I worried today? Think about the disconnect between how we live and what we say we believe. If I believe he owns the future 
and I believe that he loves me, I can put my confidence in him, whatever comes. Because lastly, God is the giver of promotion. He's overwhelmed because it is the dream. He's overwhelmed with the interpretation. And he falls and he bows down before Daniel, overwhelmed, gives him honor and great financial reward, blesses him in so many ways. And then verse 47, Nebuchadnezzar exalts the God of Israel, specifically the God of Daniel. Now, let's pause here in this promotion. I'm going to tell you something I can't prove, but it's my message, so I'm going to preach it my way. You can deal with this later. Where'd everybody go? <laughs> How many of you know? <laughs> How many of you know that Jesus was born in Bethlehem? Let me see your hands. The rest of you, this is your first Sunday. How many? How many of you know he's born in Bethlehem? How many know that wise men came from the east? Pagan lands. You ever wondered how they got there? Pagan astrologers in that part of the world would never have been looking for the king of the Jews. Never, never, never. Why did the wise men come with their gifts? Because God intended there to be a testimony that would be laid out in the world at that moment that this coming of Jesus wasn't just for the Jews. It was for wise men from the east. It was for the Gentile world as well. And there had to be a way to get them there. How did God plan to get wise men from the east to the birth of Jesus in Bethlehem to testify that this king of the Jews was the savior of the world? How did he do that? Well, he set it up in Daniel chapter 2. Because he made Daniel head over all the wise men. What do you think Daniel would have taught the wise men in Babylon. He would have said, <laughs> oh, that felt good. He would have said, there is a God above all gods. He is Elohim. He is Yahweh. He is the creator of the world. And he's going to send a Messiah who will be the savior of the world. Watch the signs in the heavens because God will give a sign. And when you see the signs in the heavens that testify to the birth of the kings of the Jews, you need to begin your journey and be there and see that child. Well, it doesn't exactly tell us that. The evidence of that is clear. Daniel is king of all the, or head of all the wise men in Babylon. He sets up a school of the wise men, shows them the wonders of God in heaven. The heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament shows his handiwork. Daniel is teaching them and all of that. And then generations go by. And then there's a star in the east. And the wise men begin their journey and they kneel before the Christ child. And we celebrate that today. What an incredible plan. What an incredible God. Does anybody believe he could do that? If you believe that Daniel chapter 2 started a process and may have been exactly why Daniel got elevated to prepare the way for the coming of the wise men to testify to our generation, if God's that big and that masterful, then I think he can handle our puny little lives. Hello? I don't mean that insulting. I just want you to know the world, this may shock you, but some of us ought to get up in the world. Some of us ought to get up in the morning and look in the mirror and say, the world's bigger than me. 
The world's bigger than me. There's more at stake here. There's more that I need to be a part of. Nebuchadnezzar exalts Daniel, and Daniel leverages his position on behalf of his colleagues. So here's the bottom line. Here's the bottom line. If the worship team will come, here's the bottom line. God turns death sentences into promotions. And that is the heart of the gospel message. He turns death sentences into promotions. So I'd like every head bowed, every eye closed, just for a moment, because there may be somebody here that's still living with a death sentence over your life. You've never surrendered your life to Jesus Christ. You've never become a Christ follower. You've never said, Jesus, I want you to be Lord of my life. And this would be a wonderful morning for you to make that kind of surrender. So if you're in the house and you've never made a surrender of your life to Jesus, let this be the day you begin that journey. And it starts with asking Jesus to be your Lord and Savior. With no one looking around, private moment, private moment between you and God. If you need to invite Jesus into your life, would you lift your hand real quickly this morning? Just lift it up so we can pray with you. Yes, thank you. Is there anyone else this morning? I need Jesus in my life. I need that death sentence off of me. Yes, thank you. Anyone else this morning? I need Jesus. Yes, thank you. I need Jesus in my life. I need to surrender my life to Jesus this morning. I want you to quickly raise your hand. Anyone else that Jesus is dealing with, you need to surrender your life to him. But whether you raise your hand or not, those who pray this prayer begin a journey of repenting and receiving life. And I want everyone to pray this prayer with me out loud. It's not magical. It's just a way of expressing our heart. Everyone out loud with me. Dear Lord Jesus, I recognize my need of a Savior. I've failed in so many ways, and I need your help. I believe that you died on the cross so that my sins would be forgiven. And I believe that you rose from the dead so that I could have newness of life. And this morning, Lord Jesus, I receive your forgiveness. This morning, Lord Jesus, I receive newness of life. Thank you for saving me and making me new. And I will serve you every day for the rest of my life. Amen. Angels are rejoicing right now. We ought to celebrate here on earth too. Let's think. Before Pastor Dan comes, I want to do one more thing. Again, heads bowed, eyes closed. I want to talk to the church because I came carrying a burden. I felt like I came bringing a word for somebody. That's simply this. You're a child of God, but circumstance has written a death sentence over your life. I don't know what that is, but the devil has told you it's over. It could be job, it could be finances, it could be marriage, it could be family, it could be anything. There's been a death sentence and the devil's been beating you up with that. And I'm telling you this morning that Jesus is in the house and he's going to break that death sentence over your life and it'll turn into a promotion in your spiritual walk. With no one looking around, you'd lift your, no one looking around, you'd lift your hand and say, I, I, feel like, I feel like I'm in that place where there's been a death sentence written over me. Yes, thank you. Just slip up your hand. Yes, thank you. Thank you. Yes, yes, yes. Thank you. Anyone else? Yes, thank you. Anyone else this morning? I need that death sentence. Thank you. Broken over my life. Anyone else? Quickly, just raise your hand. Yes, thank you. God's moving in the house. Yes, thank you. God's moving in the house. 
And he's going to do a miracle of liberation this morning and release promotion. I want everyone in the house to stand right now and let's begin to praise him for a little bit. And we're going to pray for those that raise their hand that God will give them deliverance and freedom. Right now, would you just out loud, just begin to love Jesus and express how much you appreciate what he's done and ask the Spirit of God to begin to move across this room. Lord Jesus, we come before you in your name, in your authority, in your power, knowing that the devil wants to defeat, devour, destroy, and ruin lives. And we believe that you do all things well. And right now, in your name, by your authority, I come against the attack of the enemy on people's lives. I break that bondage in the name of Jesus. I I ask, Lord, that that death sentence would be released from them. And right now, there'd be hope burst in their life that they would sense the power of God at work in them. In this moment, we cast that death sentence down and we receive the abundant blessing of Jesus Christ. And everyone in agreement said, Amen. Amen. Give God praise this morning. Give God praise. Pastor Dan. I just encourage us right now to just stay in that heart of worship. Just stay in that heart of worship. God is moving. He's not done. And so I just encourage you. But if you accept Jesus Christ, your personal Lord and Savior for the first time, or you rededicated his life, I encourage you to text this number that's on the screen, 319-250-8998. And it's 315-250-8998. And so, God's not done. The prayer team is coming up right now. And some of you have been carrying some things that have been really heavy. And you need to give it to God. And sometimes that takes by taking an action and giving it to Him. It might be today, this morning, just coming up for prayer. I think we also need to be interceders of prayer and praying for the people that have walked away from knowing God. And I know some of you maybe have come this morning, your hearts have been heavy for someone that you have been praying for. I encourage you to come up and be praying for the people that have, come away, have gone away from God. Let's give this time to God. Let's intercede and go after him. I'm going to pray, 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 and then after that, the worship team is going to lead us, and the prayer team is going to be up here. But don't be afraid of what's going on up here. Be more concerned about what's going on with God and you. And spend some time with him. Get in his presence. Let's pray. God, I thank you for what you're doing in this service. Lord, I thank you for the message that you gave Pastor Gary this morning. God, I pray right now as we're just needing you. We need you. We're lost without you. And so, God, I pray right now, anyone in this room that just needs to step out in faith and to be prayed for this morning, to not hold back, but to come forward. If they need healing, Lord, to pray for a family member that's walked away, to pray for that death sentence that's feeling over them, Lord, Father God, for it to be released, Lord. You are so much bigger, God. You are in heaven. You're not done with us. So God, we give you this time, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. The worship team is going to lead us. If you need prayer, I encourage you to come up front. Thanks for joining us. We hope that this message was inspiring and encouraging. For more information about this message or about all things Crosspoint, check out our Facebook and head to our website at www.crosspointwaverly.com.